0: Welcome to the Christian Worship Center podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you. Visit us online at cwcbayarea.com for service times and directions. Nothing just happens. Many of us want a better life, but very few people are willing to do what's necessary to make a better life. I don't know about you, but how many could use more money in your bank account? Just to say amen if you agree with that, okay? How many could you, uh, stand to be in better shape? Say amen, okay? Uh, how many could, uh, you know, I'm not going to say that one. Um, how many uh, would, would love to have a better walk with God? Okay. Nothing just happens. Many times we wish for things to take place, but those things don't come about without a decision on our part and there seems to be, after every victory that we have in life, there's an inevitable breakdown or letdown. Now, let, me, let me explain it to you this way How many have ever had a return for tax season? Got a tax return? You get the tax return, you feel rich, right? Come on. You, you pay some bills. Next thing you know, you're going out to eat every week, you buy something that you can't afford. To impress people you don't like for things you don't need, and then you end up in debt from oh man I just I just got four thousand dollars now all of a sudden you go and buy something for seven, so you're not ahead of the game four thousand you're in the hole by three. I see it all the time. Don't 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 look at me like that because some of you are the ones that have done that. Okay, but there seems to be a breakdown. It's what I call the agony of victory. Because after every victory many of us have, we inevitably go through a letdown. And in Nehemiah chapter 13, starting in verse 6, this is what we see. The walls of Jerusalem have been rebuilt. Nehemiah goes back home to Babylon to be back with the king that he was serving. This is where we pick it up. And when this was going on, I wasn't there in Jerusalem. In the 32nd year, what year? 32nd year of Artaxerxes, the king of Babylon, I traveled back to the king. So we went back home after being in Jerusalem, rebuilding the walls. He goes back to Babylon to serve his king once again. But later I asked for his permission to leave again. And I arrived in Jerusalem and learned of a wrong that Eliashab had done. Bow your heads as we pray. Father, help in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated this morning. How many here... Uh, are young enough to remember a show by the name of uh, Wide World of Sports. Okay? (laughs) Every Saturday morning, there was this uh, show that would start called Wide World of Sports, and it would chronicle some of the sports activities that had happened during the week, but also focusing on activities that were happening at that moment. It went a little something like this. I know you remember something all Spanning the globe it's to bring you the constant going. variety of sport. The thrill of victory. And the agony of defeat. The human drama of athletic competition. This is ABC's Wide World of Sport. Now, I want you to see something here on that clip throughout the years or the many years that this thing ran you will see the thrill of victory change sometimes it'll be a a car driver sometimes it'll be a weightlifter. sometimes it's a boxer so the thrill of victory was always different but dude the agony of defeat was always the same dude flying down on his skis and wrecking and I don't know about you but I would have hated they, they actually did an interview with this poor dude. That his whole life, every Saturday morning around the world, people watched his one moment of failure. He goes to the Olympics, and at the Olympics, he ends up blowing it and has a major catastrophic wipeout that is shown every Saturday for years. I don't know, how many of you ever made a mistake? How many have really made a mistake? How many are glad they didn't videotape that mistake? (laughs) Pastor Ray. And that they actually showed it every Saturday morning to a group of people every Saturday to use you as the example of the agony of defeat. This poor dude, that's what his life was. His his whole life was the agony of defeat. But I want to talk to you about not the agony of defeat, but the agony of victory. Because in every one of our lives, it's after we have a victory that we end up settling for a major loss. It's after every breakthrough that we end up. And I'm talking for myself. After all of a sudden I go on this major workout, this binge to get in shape. The moment I lose weight, the moment my pants start feeling looser, the moment I get a cut in my arm I didn't see earlier, it's all about, hey, let's go out to eat. It's all about foster freeze it's all about uh, you know and I end up blowing it until that cut disappears all of a sudden that weight that I lost comes back and so we end up after every victory we end up in trouble once again whether it be financially whether it be relationally because many individuals and we're going to talk about this today Nehemiah chapter 13 verses uh, 6 through 9 we see progress take place everyone say progress they, they rebuild the walls. How many know that's a huge accomplishment? Walls that have been destroyed for 125 years, 120 years are rebuilt. The temple that was destroyed, they rebuilt. The word of God is reestablished. They stand there and uh, Ezra stands up and reads the the, the Torah. And as he reads it, everyone, over a million people are standing up listening to the word of God being read. And they're crying as they hear the word of God read for the first time in centuries, and generations. Now I want you to see what takes place here. Nehemiah returns to the king, and when he returns to the king, he finds out some stuff going on back in Jerusalem that shouldn't be going on, and he returns home because of that. You see, many of us, listen carefully, many of us are really good at crisis management. How how many good crisis managers are here right now? You you, You work better under pressure. You, you work better when thing, when, when, in, in rising up when things have fallen apart. Come on, somebody. Some, some of you guys are really good at that. Really good. You're, you're great when things are bad. You're, you're, great, you're a great rebuilder. The problem is this. Many of us are really good at putting things back together. You know, when we're, you're great at marriage when the husband is about to leave. You're great at marriage when your wife is about to leave. You're a great financial manager right on the verge of bankruptcy. Come on. You're really good at getting healthy when you find out that you're gonna have to start taking your, your, your pre diabetic. Come on. And so we're only good when a crisis rises up, but we cannot handle success. And there's some people that are great at getting out of crisis, but they're terrible at celebrating when everything is good. They don't know how to handle success. And this morning, I want to talk to you and I want to challenge you on how to handle success. Because many of us operate in life to the, we're we're always on the verge of trying to fix things. And we're better when things are falling apart. So we do better when we're fixing things, but we don't know how to handle when things are good. That's not what God wants for your life. God created you to succeed. Say it again, Pastor. God wired you for success. When God blew his breath into you, he literally shared with you the bloodline, the DNA of a champion. It is in you. It's who you are. It's not what you want. It's who you are. And so we have to learn how to handle success. Somebody say amen. And so first thing I want you to see is this, and we find this going on. I'm not going to be long today, but I want you to see this. Number one, you got to watch out who you hang out with. Now, Now, that is simple. They used to say, you know what, show me who your friends are, and I'll show you who you are. Birds of a feather feather flock together. And I'm here to tell you this. In Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 4 and 5, something took place. In fact, if you go back to verse 1 of chapter 13, you find God make this statement. Do not allow any Amorites among your people. Because it was the Ammonites that when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, as they were going through the land of the Ammonites, they asked, hey, can we get some water? Can we get some food? We're not going to take your land. We just want something to help us get through this time. And they told them, no, you're not allowed to come through here. We'll fight you if you do. And so you you guys got to go around. So God says you shouldn't even have them among you. Okay, that's in verse one and two. Then we get to this point here and this is where we pick it up. So sometime before this, Eliashib, the priest, had been put in charge of the storerooms. Everyone say storerooms. What what do you use storerooms for? Hey, you guys are good. You know what? See, you're theologians. Okay, storerooms in the temple of God. So they're storing stuff where? Where? Storerooms where? Come on, work with me. Work with me. Okay. So where, where is it? We got storerooms where? In the temple. You got a temple. Inside the temple are storerooms. And so he takes the storeroom. He was close to Tobiah. Everyone say Tobiah. Tobiah. You remember this dude? What, what do we remember about Tobiah? His name literally means pagan. He was one of the ones that fought against them rebuilding the wall. He said, if a fox walks on the wall, it'll it'll fall down. This guy was the very one that tried to keep them from rebuilding. Now that the wall is completed, now that the temple is restored, somehow this fool has developed a relationship with the priest that is in charge of the temple, and he's gained access to the temple. That's not even the worst of it. His name is Tobiah the Amorite. So not only did God tell him not to have these people even associated, he's taken this individual that opposed the wall, that fought against them, that tried to keep them from rebuilding, is now has a place in the temple. Let's let's go on. It gets worse. He was close to Tobiah and had made available available to him a small storage room. Now, you're good. A what? A large storage room. So he didn't just give them a little corner. He gave them probably the biggest one that they had. And what was it used for? That had been used for, I'm glad you asked, that had been used for to store the grain offerings, incense, worship vessels, and the tithe of the grain, the wine, and the oil for the Levites. For who? Levites, singers, security guards, and the offerings for the priest. Now, First of all, Tobiah is an Ammonite who strongly fought the rebuilding of the wall. And now he not only allows this guy into the temple, but what he does is he takes the things of the temple and he moves the temple things out so that Tobiah can move his stuff in. Many times in our, in our pursuit of success, as soon as we accomplish the walls up, the temple up, or a relationship with God, now all of a sudden the very thing, the very standard, the offering, the, 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 the sacrifice, the commitment, the worship to God that got us to that point, we end up now moving out the very thing that got us there and we usher in something pagan to take its place. wasn't just that he made room for them they got rid of the stuff that was already there see there's a principle a lot in the law of physics right two objects can occupy what the same space you can't say i worship god while worshiping satan you can't say i belong to god while being committed to the enemy you see According to Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for you will love one or hate the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and Satan. Both God and who? And what? He, he doesn't say both God and Satan. He says both God and money. money. Because God understood that the battle for your soul and for your, your affections wasn't going to be between you and Satan. Between God and Satan. If it's between God and Satan, no one in their right mind, I'll choose Satan. How many here right now are ready to choose Satan over God? Anyone? Now, there might be some crazy folk that might do that. Okay? But God knew that the battle for your affection wouldn't be between God and Satan, but it would be between God and yourself. God and money. Money is a thing. Most of us are saved. The only thing that's not saved about you is your pocketbook. That's the only thing going to hell. Because we can trust God that he's building us a mansion in heaven. He's coming back for me someday. But you want me to do what? You want me to give? I can trust him for some fairy tale in the future, but I can't trust him in the now. That's true faith. Now, what they do is they empty out the temple to put in put in things from Tobiah. Look at 2 Corinthians 6.14. Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can the righteous be partnered with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? Now, what he does, he... he, he comes in and he allows, Eliashib allows, he's in charge of the temple, allows Tobiah to put his stuff in the temple of God. 1 Corinthians 15.33 uh, says this, don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Don't tell me you love God. I can see by who you're hanging out with. I can tell that the things that you're doing are based... You you say, I belong to God, but you got, you know what, God, I've given you all of my life except for this one room. You can't do that. The Great Wall of China, how many have ever heard of, not the movie, The Real Wall? Okay? The Great Wall of China was over 4,000 miles long took over 2,000 years to build. And it was to keep enemies out that were threatening their nation. But do you realize in the years that that wall was up, that that wall was breached on three different occasions? Not by destroying the wall, but by bribing the gatekeepers. And if they were able to bribe the gatekeeper... The armies march right through if they could just pay off the gatekeeper. Do you realize you're the gatekeeper of your home? you're the gatekeeper of your heart you are the Adam of your garden and that he gave Adam that responsibility to tend and to keep his garden to watch out to protect it to watch over it what things are we allowed how many Tobias are living in a place in our lives and instead of instead of defending or throwing them out we make excuses for why we've allowed Tobiah to come in to the temple of God that belongs to God a temple that is that's been rebuilt for the purposes of God. I need you to understand Matthew 6, 24 says this. Oh, you know, we already read that, my bad. Number two, correct issues, don't ignore them. Now, many of you know what the problem is. It's not a matter of not knowing what the problem is. He knew that it was a problem having Tobiah in the house. But he didn't do anything. You know the problems that you have in your home. It's not enough. You got to correct it don't just acknowledge it you got to confront issues and then correct them many of us will confront issues but we won't correct them it's time for you to grow up don't tell me how many years you've been in Christ how many years has Christ been in you that's what I really want to know how many years has Christ been working in you I've known Christ for a lot of years I don't give a rip how long you've known Christ how, I've, I've known about Christ since I was a child, but Christ has only operated in me for a few of those years. I've been surrendered to God for a few of those years. It's how much we've allowed God to be at work in our lives. Don't just con- con- confront issues; correct them. Look at verse sixteen. I arrived in Jerusalem, learning of the wrong that Ilyasib had done, and turning him over uh, and, and turning over to him a room in the courts of the temple of our God. So. Nehemiah is back over here, like at the very beginning. Here's what's going on. Brother goes right back over there. Thousand-mile journey, three months to get there. But he was on a journey. Every night he went to bed. I can't wait to get to Jerusalem. Every night he woke up. I can't get wait to get to Jerusalem. He was on a mission to rebuild and correct some things, not just confront them. And when he got there, look at this. He says this, I was angry, really angry. <laughs> I want to talk to some holy people in this place right now. See, the problem isn't this. So I need to talk to some people that, are, that love God enough that you're willing to get angry. Let me try this side. That anyone that loves God enough to get angry for his purpose. I don't, I don't know. See, for, for us, wait wait, a minute, love. We've got to love everyone. we, we got to wait. There's a point where unrighteousness is crossed, where somewhere along the way there's something that rises up in you and says, this is wrong. Wait, this can't go on. you got to get angry for your marriage. you got to get angry for your kids. you got to get angry for your community. you got to get stirred up to make a change instead of sitting back all the time and saying, it's all good. Yeah. You're never going to change some things until you get angry about it. You're going to let people treat you the way they want to treat you until you get angry about it. You're not going to restore your marriage until you get angry about how the enemy keeps squirming his way into your marriage. Somewhere along the way, you got to get angry. But getting angry is not enough. In fact, we see in in the Old Testament where where David's daughter is raped by her half-brother. And the Bible says that David got angry. Listen, anger might just push you to a point of action. That's what the Bible says, be angry and sin not. Anger is not a bad emotion. Anger can be can be harnessed to help bring about a change angry I'm tired of our family not getting by struggling financially that anger that frustration can get you over the top to to motivate you to get better educated to start a business or to do something different but that very thing I need you to understand that it's not enough just to get angry we don't see anywhere in the word where David brings his daughter over and says sweetheart I'm so sorry for what happened to you he never confronted the issue he never dealt with the issue you you can't just confront it. You got to correct it. He never talked to his son and said, "Dude, what you did was wrong," and deal with this son. He never talked to him. He just said, he just he he didn't even deal with it to the point where his other son kills his son because dad's not doing anything about it. And so instead of dealing and confronting with that, he sends his son away. Ignoring issues doesn't solve them. You want to be successful? Learn how to confront and correct issues in your life. Someone say amen. Amen. Now, number three. Everyone say number three. Stay with me here. We're going to close, okay? Identify what you prioritize. Now, I, I hear so many people talk about what their core values are. See, core values must be emulated, not just expressed. This is what I believe in, but you're not living it. That's not a core value, it's just a statement. It's just something that you, you, you repeat, but it's not something you really believe. First Corinthians chapter 6, Worship team, if you'll help me. Verse six, uh, chapter six, verse 19 s- says this, do, "Do you not realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who lives in you and was given to you by God?" You do not belong to yourself. I want to take this a bit deeper right now, okay? You got, you, got, you got Tobiah who comes in and moves these things into the temple of God. Let's get rid of that temple. You're the temple. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And there are things that Tobiah's not bringing in, you're bringing in. Things you're allowing to come in, and you're moving out the things of God. You're taking those things that belong to God, and you're coming over here, and you're throwing away the things that belong to God to make room for your crap. Because it was the things of God that opened the door to your success to begin with. And now that we get successful, we begin to throw out the very things that God blessed us with. He blesses you with the family, blesses you with the job, blesses you with the house, blesses you with the car. And now all of a sudden, those spaces of prayer, those spaces of dedication, those places of worship, the place of giving, those places that belong to God, we put other crap into instead. No longer dedicated to God. We move our stuff into a place that was dedicated and it belonged to God. I love what Nehemiah does in verse 16. And Nehemiah threw out, it should be actually 13, Not that's the wrong address, 13, 16. And threw out everything. He got angry. Then he threw out everything. Someone say Everything. That was in the room into the street. All of Tobiah's stuff. You catching this? Nehemiah, we would have, I don't know about you, but most of us would have pulled this number. Hey, um, Tobiah, hey, bro. um, Listen, there's been some confusion. Don't know how it happened. Don't know how our wires got crossed. I don't know what took place there, but, you know, somehow... Uh, Elijah allowed you to bring some stuff in here that really shouldn't have let you do. So, you know, I'm going to give you a 30 day notice. You start getting your stuff together and start packing it up and getting, getting it out of the temple of God because, uh, you know, what, what, what happened when they moved all that stuff in the priests, the singers, the worshipers, security guards, because there was no room for the offerings. They could no longer do their duty at the temple. So they went back to the fields. So now when someone came in to bring a sacrifice, there was no one there to take the sacrifice. They went to worship, there was no music, no song. They came to get prayed for, there was no priest. No one to stand in the gap between heaven and earth. There was no one there. Because when they filled it up with their stuff, there was no more provision for God's presence. What am I telling you? When we begin to fill our lives with things and put things in our lives that belong to God, then when you need the priest to stand in the gap on your behalf, there's no priest there. There's no one there to stand on your behalf. I love what Nehemiah does. He goes, doesn't ask permission. Brother, just starts throwing stuff in the street. Just, mm. you know what? You, you, you're, some of you right now are thinking, I got to get some things right, but I got to talk to this person. You don't got to talk to anyone right now. You just got to start throwing some stuff out into the street. You got to start clearing out that space that belongs to God. You got to start separating those areas of your life that belong to God that you've allowed Tobiah to move into. You got to separate. What did he get rid of? Everything He got rid of everything. Do not compromise the space in your life that belongs to God. Do not give to the enemy that space that belongs to God. That time, that worship, that heart, that commitment. Don't give to a man what belongs to God. Don't give to a woman what belongs to God. Don't give to Macy's what belongs to God. I'm here to tell you today that it's important that you begin to recognize what God's place is in your life. Verse, thir- verse 9, he says this in chapter 13, Then I ordered that they ceremonially cleanse the room. Worship team, stand behind me quickly. Only then did I put back the vessels of worship in the temple of God, along with the grain offerings and incense. Lastly, they put things back where they belong. Removing them is one thing. Putting things back is another we have no problem getting things cleaned out. Come on. We get things cleaned out every Sunday when we come up and we ask forgiveness. God wipes it clean. But it's a matter of you actually taking the steps to cleanse that space in your heart. Dedicate it. First Peter says, be holy because I'm holy. We have a responsibility to recognize today, but just... You must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. Then in the next verse, verse 16, he says, be holy for I am holy. What's holy mean? It just means separated, separated to a purpose. You've been separated. You're not average. Do you hear me? You're not common. You're holy. The Bible calls you a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're separated. How dare you take what's holy and throw what's nasty inside of it? How dare you take what God has separated, anointed, set apart, and allow Tobiah to come in? No more excuses. Get rid of Tobiah. Cleanse those areas of your life that you've allowed the enemy to move into because the temple isn't a building it's you you're all part of the temple of the holy spirit and god's calling his rooms back you are created to carry his presence not a grudge stand to your feet this morning thank you for downloading this message For more information on our church, visit us at cwcbayarea.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash cwcbayarea.